0: Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication
1: strategies.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established. The co-founder of Established Ventures and the team behind the Startup of the Year community and this very podcast, and we appreciate you being here. This is a special episode for you all today. We uh, have a special panel discussion that will be hosted by our very own John Guidos. It happened last year at our summit, and it's a pretty distinguished set of alumni from our Startup of the Year community. Uh, We've got Stephanie Lampkin, who's the founder and CEO of Blendor, which was a 2015 Startup of the Year winner. We have Courtney Caldwell and Dr. Ty Caldwell, the co-founders of Shearshare, our 2016 start of the year winner and as well as a established ventures portfolio company we have polly rodriguez the co-founder and ceo of unbound a 2017 top five finalist at our start of the year uh awards as well as um last but not least danielle rushton she's actually the ceo and co-founder of wherewithal which is a 2019 top five finalist back then they were called fruitful though so looking forward to this discussion but before we jump in i want to share a little bit more about our mission just for those that are just tuning in Our mission at Startup the Year is to help startup founders all along their startup journey. We do it with our community programs and resources. We help educate and build relationships. And uh, we offer an opportunity to celebrate all the fine work that's being done. We do it through our annual awards that happen at the end of every year. So some of the companies that are here today talking obviously took part in those awards and did very well. And so it's that time of the year again, as we kind of usually shoot towards the end of the year to, to host our awards. So anybody that's interested in being a part of that You should join our community today it's uh our startup the year community and you'll have a chance to partake in those 2021 awards so applications are open they're actually always open but uh, we'll be you know looking at those companies that are coming through to see who might want to be part of our our big uh, celebration at the end of the year so if you're interested in applying all you need is to have a uh, startup that's raised less than five million dollars in funding as well as a functional prototype so beyond just the idea and uh, if if you don't if you if you don't have a startup or you maybe you know somebody that does please share the information with them as well. Just go to soty.link/apply, and the top 100 startups will be that we kind of self-select will be a part of this big summit, which will happen where they'll have an opportunity to connect with and showcase and potentially take home the title of Startup of the Year. So it should be a lot of fun and really looking forward to it. Now let's hear that panel discussion with our Startup of the Year alumni, led by our very own Johnny. Good times, Guidos, for John Guidos. He actually is alum as well with his company, Turbo Peel, back in, I believe it was 2015 as well. So quite the cast, looking forward to this discussion.
3: Kind of want to go around the room and hear a little bit about everyone's company and um, you know a little bit more information. Like where did the idea come from? When did you start it? Maybe talk about the business model or the user experience. So I'm just going to start as I see it on my, on my camera feed here. And I'm going to start with Danielle, if you want to start us off and then sure. we'll go around the horn
0: yeah so wherewithal is a direct-to-consumer bra company we have a patent pending on a new bra design that will actually allow our customer to create their own personal fit for the first time ever through that design we will actually be offering a simplified sizing system so less waste less sizes less confusion Uh, really our design is more of a framework that has built-in personalization really is just an adjustable backband that women can slide to adjust to fit exactly as they need it to uh 80 of women are wearing the wrong bra size and i mean if that's a statistic in any other industry it's like that product is fundamentally flawed so as these new bra companies come up and they're being more inclusive and more body positive it's wonderful but truly our our perspective and our point of view is to kind of dismantle everything about the bra industry and and start from scratch and start over so Uh, The idea really came when I was working at Home Shopping Network. I was on the e-commerce team there and then the social media marketing team. And I was in the fashion division. And what I found was the intimates category week over week was driving the success of the fashion division. And we we would laugh because the bras are kind of a little bit older. These colors, lacy, like how is this still happening? But it's an essential item, truly, that. You know, even in this pandemic, it's a wellness problem. If you need that support, you have to wear a bra. And so what I also found was that our larger sizes of uh, interesting necklines, if you will, off the shoulder, one shoulder blouses, we could never sell through those larger sizes because they didn't have the bra to support underneath. So uh, I I have been a victim of not being properly fit into clothes my entire life and I just wanted to start making things for myself and it led me to this new design that will hopefully allow everyone their own size liberation and being able to fit in what feels best for them so
3: sure great and I have to ask you a quick follow-up because we first met you as fruitful was the name of your company and then you transitioned over to wherewithal so can you maybe tell us what 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 happened there or what's the story
0: Sure. So, uh, fruitful. It kind of all goes into this new brand identity when it comes to bras. We wanted it to be fun and cheeky and playful, but there was a t-shirt company called Fruitful and Fabulous that had, phonetically, you cannot, you know, trademark something in the same industry. So we had some trademark challenges there. Uh, kind of forced us to look inward a bit and really think back to why we're doing this and. When you have the wherewithal, you have the tools, you have what you need to do whatever it is that you're trying to get done. And so ultimately we want this to be a tool for women to use because the bra is the least interesting thing about any one of us on this panel, any one of us in this world. It's just something that we wear to do the things that we want to do. So it forced, it was a challenge and it was disappointing at the time, but I'm finding all the disappointments actually end up being blessings. So, uh, <laughs> We're excited sure. about
3: a new name for sure. Oh, great. Sure. Good. Let's keep rolling here then. So next up we have Polly uh, Rodriguez. Polly, can you tell us a little bit about your company and, and the story that
1: yeah, sure. So we are also in consumer products, a Sexual Wellness Company. So we make about 35 vibrators, lubricants, and accessories with the goal of taking a category that for so long has been a truck stops on the side of the highway and really bring it to the mainstream with body-safe materials because it's also a category that isn't regulated by the FDA. So there are lots of materials that are using these products that you should not be putting in one of the most absorbent parts of your body. Um, For me personally, this is certainly not the company I thought I would end up starting. Um, I think my mom was also equally surprised when I told her that this was what I wanted to do. but I went through a uh, stage three colon cancer diagnosis when I was 21 years old and went through menopause as a result of radiation treatment uh, to shrink the size of the tumor that beamed through my reproductive organs. And at the time my doctors sat me down and told me that I would never have children as a result of that radiation, but that was all that they shared with me. And it wasn't until I was about a month into treatment that I started having symptoms. And so I did what most millennials and Gen Z people do, it just turned to the internet. And that was how I found out I was going through menopause. And so similar to a lot of women, I found myself, this was in 2007, 2008, shopping at the only place that sold them in my hometown, which was a Hustler Hollywood next to the airport in a strip mall in St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up. And I think as I, you know, went through a career working uh, for Senator, for Senator Claire McCaskill from Missouri, and then um, for Deloitte strategy consulting group, and then, um, at a dating startup called grouper, it was always this customer experience that haunted me as, as a, as a thing that I thought could could be better, both from a product development perspective and from an online destination shopping experience. So I've been working on the company for six years. It's had a lot of ups and downs, but, um, we recently just broke through 10 million in sales, which is huge because we bootstrapped for like the first three years. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been—it's definitely not been a Cinderella story by any means, but um, it's been great. And being a part of Startup of the Year was definitely a high point in in the journey, and one that created a lot of growth opportunities for us.
3: Wow, well, that's an incredible story and a noble endeavor that you're you you're taking on. So, um, you know, congrats, and we'll hear a little bit more about that here shortly. But uh, moving on, Stephanie, tell us about Blender.
4: Yeah, Uh, so Blendor is an AI and people analytics uh, enterprise software company. So we sell to companies, B2B, uh, focused on leveraging analytics to mitigate unconscious bias in hiring and promote diverse outcomes. Um, I started the company in 2015 as a result of my own personal experience with bias uh, in the recruiting process. Um, So a little bit about my background very humble beginnings um, from the DC area. But the reason we ended up here was because my mom was actually homeless while pregnant with me um, and later battled a drug addiction. And so we lived with her sister, who at the time was a computer scientist at the University of Maryland College Park. So she got me into coding really young and I went on to go to Stanford, worked for Microsoft for a bit, and then got a grad degree from MIT. About six months after graduating from MIT, I interviewed for an analytical lead role at Google in New York, made it through the final rounds, thought everything was smooth, but the recruiter came back and said, "Mm, we don't think you're quite technical enough, but we'll hang on to your resume in case some more sales or marketing position opens up. And I know that that is code speak in tech companies for how they put a lot of overly qualified women into limited trajectory roles. So I politely declined and then later found out that out of 55,000 employees, Google only had 12 African-American women in technical roles. And the narrative is always, it's a pipeline problem. It's a pipeline problem. Um, So that really charged me to take my non-technical self. And I built the first version of Glendor in my mom's basement um, and then started pitching it. Uh, Startup of the year was one of my first pitches, having uh, moved. the west coast um and the rest is history we've worked with over 200 companies and uh, we've recently released an index that rates and ranks companies across um, diversity equity and inclusion
5: metrics
3: well that's great and that's one of those things where you know some people need to find motivation in the morning or get that fire under them to get stuff done and it sounds like that would be a pretty easy thing to do uh, to, to, to motivate you to, to do good in the world. So that's that's another incredible story. You're making my job easy here. Everything everything's pretty amazing. So, all right, uh, Ty and Courtney, can you all share with us some uh, about sure Share please?
6: Great. I mean, other than me sitting beside this beauty queen, uh, I'm actually the one that comes from the industry. So uh, sheer Share is. The first B2B mobile app that allows licensed beauty professionals to rent empty salon and barbershop space on demand, so by the day. So giving these licensed professionals the opportunity to not have to sign long-term contracts, to not have to worry about a lease. But actually, work whenever, wherever. We're affectionately called Airbnb. So that's what people have affectionately called us. And so we took that uh, URL really quick. Uh, but what we've done is uh, a little bit of background on us. I've been in the beauty industry for almost 30 years, yeah. salon and barbershop owner for oh, for more than two decades. And we saw that there was a shift in the industry around 2012 after I had expanded and rebranded my own location. And um, a stylist came by one day and wanted to know if she could rent an empty chair. And at that time, you know, we didn't see that shift uh, actually coming. But I was like, OK, well, who does that? So I told her I'd give her a call um, in a day. I went home and told my wife about it and she laughed. She's like, who who does that? And no, I was like, no well. No one
5: rents space. No no professional rent space in our industry by the day. You always sign a long-term contract. You always work by commission. Um, that, that's, that's never happened before. So I honestly did just kind of laugh it off.
6: So after talking about it, I was like, you know what? The place is just rent dust, uh, collecting dust yeah. and 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 i'm not making any money so let me just give her the opportunity uh called her up and told her that i would i would love for her to just come and rent the place what what i found out is that you know while we creating uh disparate disparities for licensed professionals who are just looking for space she rented the space for that weekend a couple of days friday and saturday uh, i told her about a price gave her a premium price and you know kind of broke it down based on the amenities that she wanted she wanted an empty space she wanted a, a community uh, of, of other like-minded stylists and she just felt like she was a part of the team and so after that experience, she asked me, could I help her get closer to her, her clients uh, in different locations? Because she wanted to do that. And I was like, well, why do you choose me to do it? And she was like, for one, there's two reasons. One, you're a licensed professional. You understand what we need. And two, you own a salon. So if you call a salon for me, they're not going to hang up on me because, for one, you understand the lingo. You understand the, You understand what my needs are. And you can tell them. But if I call them, they're just going to hang up in my face. So I ended up doing that for her she ended up getting her at like three other salons and she just really liked the experience i think the apprehension from the salon owners was how was my experience was she licensed uh was she professional all those different things that we now have on the app that we that we had that directional data three years in doing it manually and i think that what gave us the opportunity was that manual data before we ever built out the share share app and once we realized that. Her friends were calling her up because she. we're in social media age now where she's posting on social media sites and everybody's asking, her, how are you going to these different locations? And she she gave them our personal number. So we had so many licensed professionals, personal number for years, helping yeah. them get uh, space to rent. And it was just one of those things where it just worked. And Courtney was there helping me while she's working in corporate.
5: Yeah. So I I unfortunately am not a licensed beauty or barbering professional. That is not my gift. Um, My husband, though, I'm blessed to have been married to who I consider honestly to be the most unemployable person that I know. He's always been an entrepreneur since the day I met him. And so I was busy um, working in corporate America for 20 plus years, and loved what I was doing. Thought that I honestly was going to uh, retire from Oracle. Um, and one day, my husband came home and said, "Hey, you know that problem we've been having at the salon? I think this needs to be an app." And I immediately said, "Okay, well, let's go build it." And so we we did a few things you know, as we. Um, bootstrapped um, sheer Share, including eating a lot, of Chipotle, a lot of Chipotle, rice and beans. <laughs> and we were sitting there one night, and Ty pulled out a napkin and said, Okay, if we're serious about this, what would the app look like? And to this day, we still have the napkin drawing of what the, the rudimentary screens of the Shear Share app look like. But today, Shear Share is in over 625 cities in 11 countries, and we're helping to refuel industry recovery um, in all across America. And so we could not be more proud
3: that's great so uh frank gruber our co-ceo just was messaging me and said he needs a haircut and needs to log on immediately <laughs> to find out where he can take care of that but uh, i think we all do you actually I haven't had a real haircut in in months but um also do you all did i see some good some good news come across the the wires recently about you all is that you is are that, correct that, john are we allowed to talk about that
5: Oh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. if it's on TechCrunch, it's, it, it's, it's allowed. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. But yes, we just closed our seed round. So excited about that. Have some phenomenal investors, including um, Mary Grove from Bread and Butter Ventures, Mark Cuban, who is uh, the sole LP for Arlen Hamilton's fund, um, Steve Case with, and David Hall of Rise of the Rest, um, the wow. Sachse Family Fund. Um, I mean, Lightspeed, it's it's, it's been unreal. But I think that people see um, that, you know, our industry is the second largest industry for freelancers and beauty is not going anywhere by any means. Um, And some people would even argue to say that we are essential. And so um, we're not surprised that we were able to uh, be able to raise in in a pandemic.
6: And I think the the great thing about it is, you know, this is the first time they've ever uh, uh, they've actually I've been elected to the PBA. So the first mm-hmm. African-American in 100 years that they've elected to the council. Yeah. And so just being a part of that and giving them a lot of the the the, the hardships that we go through uh, through this pandemic and really giving them the opportunity to see how essential we are. Because our our license comes through uh, having that. You have to have a precautionary, uh, all the, the things that it takes in order to be a stylist. So you have to go through all the precautionary rules and all the licensing. Mm-hmm. And so. I think that that was a, a great thing, but I've i earned my doctorate in professional barbering in cosmetology. Right. So to be a part of the PBA is going to really help us get to the next level in this yeah. industry.
3: Yeah. Well, that's phenomenal. That deserves a, a we need to celebrate that. It's been a it's been a rough thank year you. for various reasons. So congratulations. Yeah. That's thank we'll, you. We'll have our tech team sprinkle in some some cheering there. So that's very <laughs> that's that's Thanks. great. So oh, I think I made a mute.
1: Oh, you're muted
5: now.
3: Can you hey, hear John, me? you're
5: not audible. Now we can.
1: Yeah.
3: Okay. Wonderful. Can you still hear me? Hmm? Okay, good, 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 good. Tech technology, right? So, my apologies. Um, so, I want to hear about how you all um, build your teams and what kind of background you look for in in those individuals that you you bring on board. So, I'm going to go again uh, around the horn here. So, I'm going to start with Danielle. So, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your team and how you how you go about building it.
0: Yeah, and I just do want to say, Courtney and Ty- absolutely an essential business i live in florida so we were allowed to go out a little bit that's the first thing i did <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and, her salon never closed down and i had literally the thought i was like this yeah. is an essential business yeah so, it's
5: for our uh, wellness thank you for yeah. that danielle
0: <laughs> yeah um but growing our team so i met my co-founder uh ellery at hsn i actually had interviewed to be on her team and uh I ended up getting promoted within my own team, but we kept in touch and randomly, we were at uh, the hub where we had lunch and I wasn't telling anyone at HSN about you know, this side thing that I was building. And for some reason, I, it just kind of came out of me when I was talking with her and it really resonated with her. She uh, she picked her wedding dress based on the bra she was gonna wear. Like we we have these limitations that are so annoying and we've just accepted them for so long. Uh, that it, and she's also she she got a breast reduction and that's something she'll speak about very freely and it's it's insane I think how uh, how much our our bra and our size affects our life and kind of limits us in a way. And so she was the first person who believed in me. Uh, I left HSN in in May of 2018 and she joined me later that year in September. And so from that point, we, we just finished a uh, friends and family round before the, the pandemic had hit. So we raised a little bit of money. We were able to hire our technical designer and, um, our manufacturing and sourcing head, of we don't have a technical term title for her yet, but she's our VP, if you will, of manufacturing and sourcing. And so these women, it's, it's incredibly hard to find people in this industry. It's so specialized. It's so secretive. They don't want people like us just knocking on the door. And, and it's really, uh, there's only a handful of bra companies because it's such a technical garment and people aren't out there in the masses making it we spent two years trying to make it domestically looking for a manufacturer in the united states to produce these bras and there are no bra manufacturers in america and so that was part of the issue and then once we hired our technical designer and our manufacturing and sourcing uh lead uh we were able to use their connections within the industry they both have over 20 years of experience they're incredible and they, they also just really believe in what we're doing. So next up is marketing and, you know, social media and all of that. We, we have extensions of our team. We're partnering with Shopify for our distribution. We have incredible patent attorneys and corporate attorneys, but uh, as far as next steps, it would definitely be that marketing person. And marketing, I think, is, a uh, one of those positions that people under not underestimate but uh, underrate how hard it is and how many social media platforms you have to be in charge of and how you have to format something different for Instagram than you do for Twitter and the, the character count and so it's a crazy it's a crazy position and that's definitely how we'll be marketing to our potential customers so that's next on the list but uh, we we're actively raising right now to be able to hire that person on so
3: great. Well, we'll get back we'll get back to those asks in a little bit, but uh, right now, I'm gonna keep rolling. So Polly, how about your team and what do you look for when you're building your team?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. Like we I did it by myself for a while. Um, and then I'm my co-founder. The first part I actually made was social media. That's largely because I didn't have any money and I could pay her. Like she was she, I, I was like, I can only pay fifteen hours a week. She was right out of school. She was really witty and funny and i found that social media you had to post consistently and you had to be a little out there to garner attention because of our category we're not allowed to advertise on facebook instagram pinterest snapchat twitter uh tv the subway all banned despite the fact oh wow products for men and erectile dysfunction are like totally fine um but that's another conversation for another day in terms of you know, I think one of the things that's really important to do early on is to find what your company core values are, because it makes the hiring process infinitely more efficient. So for us, we knew it was resiliency, empathy, and scrappiness. So people are willing to be resourceful because we've never had like a ton of money. And I think once we really defined, took those values and then defined them like into behavioral questions of like, how are those behaviors demonstrated? Um, it made the hiring process a lot easier and more efficient. And the other thing we did that was really helpful was we created an actual scorecard. So we have all these values that we are looking for in candidates, and then we have the questions that we ask them. And then on a scale of like one to five, we have like a range of people on the team who after interviewing fill out the scorecards and what how well they thought they answered the question relative to the attribute we're looking to. And it's really made the, and I would love to hear Stephanie's opinion on if we are totally messing this up, but it's, for us, it's made the process a lot more objective in terms of how do we remove bias that is in all of us, regardless of whether we see it or not. So um, I think it is up to founders to really focus on defining what are the values that you want to see in your employees that are going to make your company great. And I would urge you to try to get as specific as possible because it's really easy to be like, Hustler culture, and it's like, okay, but what does that actually mean? Um, so yeah, sure. that's how we built the team.
3: Yeah, one of the things I, the one of the hurdles that I had to navigate as a as a startup founder, and I'm interested to hear all of your input on this, is when you hire somebody that has a corporate background into a startup, and they sit down and they say, well, I have all these great ideas. And then where's the team to do it, right? And you have to look at them in the eye and say, okay, now you need to do it, right? So you don't have some of that cushion from a corporate background. And I come from a big corporation too. So I guess I could I can talk speak to this as well and not feel bad about it, but something we had to navigate. But anyways, um, Stephanie, I know that Polly kind of had a question for you and interested to learn, because you're in that space, um, your thoughts on building your team.
4: Yeah, structured interviewing is awesome. So you are definitely on the right track. Um, the more structure and transparency uh, the more likely you are to have a meritocratic process. So kudos to you on that. And kudos to you ladies for disrupting the patriarchy. Like your products are amazing. Every night when I take off my bra, I feel like this is the patriarchy. Things shouldn't be, it shouldn't be this uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
4: We, <laughs> my, my, we.
0: My technical designer and I, we always talk about this must've been made by a <laughs> man. And it was, so. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um so yeah the way my hiring process looks is actually quite inbound I do speaking engagements in places um, in universities where I want to attract a certain amount of talent and it's basically me throwing the bait out there to say hey this is my story this is what I'm doing if it resonates with you contact me so my first hire was a white cisgender male from Stanford And he met me through this tech inclusion conference, and then he followed me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, And then at some point we connected because I applied through the Stanford StartX Accelerator and he happened to be one of the judges um, and later joined our team full-time. And so I've kind of followed that model uh, pretty consistently, um, just kind of putting myself out there. I speak at a lot of uh, universities and events and um, just, you know, hope to, attract people who are really passionate about what we're doing. And oftentimes that comes in the form of people who have experienced bias in in some way it resonates with them. And it's not just a race thing or a gender thing. I don't, John, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember in 2015, we had like a pre-pitch meeting for all of the folks. And I was the only woman and person of color among that cohort. And I just asked you guys, frankly, I was like, look, What can I pitch to appeal to this audience, given it's going to be predominantly white and Asian male? And you guys told me, make it relatable, make it resonate, because everyone has experienced bias, whether because of their age, their socioeconomic background, um, et cetera. And so I think that's really what I've prioritized in my personal professional branding and communication is that. This is um, bigger than just race and gender. We all experience it and we'll all be better off if we fix it. So if you're, you know, if you're passionate about that, come to Blendor.
3: You know, what's funny and I'm going to share something for a second. I know I'm not going to make this about me, but Mm -hmm. I want to share this with you because you oftentimes don't get the other side of the story, right? You just go on with your life. But I remember that conversation. And I remember my co-founder and I looked at each other when we met you. Cause I remember you were like walking around backstage, like looking at your cards and like going over your speech in your head. And my co-founder and I literally looked at each other and we were like, yeah, she's got this man. She's, (laughs) she's, she's good. She's going to, she's intense. She's, she's sharp. She's going to win this thing. And you did. So, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm saying that as a compliment to you, that um, you, know, you may have internalized our feedback or the situation differently, but we thought the, we thought the world of you and we, we knew that you were sharp and you knew your stuff and you were heavy competition and you won. So you know, I'm saying that as a compliment and I, I hope you, it. you know, take so that. I
4: internalized everything in a positive way. I've actually never been in a competitive environment like that where it felt like we were actually collaborating before we were competing. And everyone involved was super supportive and helpful. That's
3: great. That's great. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, we're going to keep rolling. So Ty and Courtney, um, what do you all look for when you're building your team?
5: Yeah, First, I want to say, John, you're correct. Stephanie is amazing with a capital A-H. So um, (laughs) we we share in that. Um, Okay. So building our team, we were bootstrapping for the first few years, really because we didn't even know that the Silicon Valley world existed. We were like, what? There's a place that will give you money. And there are people called angels and venture capitalists who will give you checks to go build your dream. So we just did what we knew how to do. And that was Save money, eat a lot of rice and beans and then build this thing, you know, as we went, Um, because we we knew that we had to help keep our small businesses open. We knew that we were tired of seeing um, our neighborhood barbershops and mom and pop salons shut down. And we're like, okay, if we're helping to place individual stylists where and when they need to work without them having to be locked down to a long term contract and everybody's winning, then this has to be created. It just Mm -hmm. has to be. And so um, Ty and I met at his salon like 20 years ago. Like, how funny is that, that we are still in this industry? Um, And we've learned over the years of being married co-founders that um, in order for him to be his best, in order for me to be my best, we have to staff our weaknesses. Right. So he is clearly the visionary. He's clearly the subject matter expert when it comes to all things sheer share. You know, while the team is busy executing on day to day essentials, he's thinking, you know, the next five years, the next 10 years, you know, the challenges that he faced from year one to year 30 and how we can lower that hurdle for everyone else coming behind us. And my strength is in operations and B2B marketing. And so we we live in our lanes and that's really how we work the best together. And then everything else we've been able to staff up. Um, But you're right, though, John, it's been interesting as we have grown. And after that um, fresh amount of funding, um, we're hiring more people. So we've hired, what, six people in the last 60 days?
6: Yes. 60 no, people
5: in the last 45 60 days. days. 45 days. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the last one was a really big one for us. Um, uh, Steve is our newest team member, and he is our new senior director of strategic partnerships. Now, Steve, and, and it's crazy because every person we hire, it's like, wow, like people are as passionate about this problem as we are. Like, we never think that we're gonna, we've always felt like we have to convince someone or like trick them into, you know, loving Share Share as much as we love Share Share. Um, But Steve comes from 20 years at American Airlines. And he says he remembers when people were like, online booking, no one's ever gonna do that for travel. People are never gonna go that way. And so he immediately sees the value in sheer, Share And he's like, oh, yeah, we got this. So um, but, yeah, corporate background. And he but he is like so hungry for this startup world because he's tired of pressing like the same button, you know, like every single day. So we're, we're very happy to have him.
6: And one of the things that I will add, and I think that all the ladies, you know, I'm the only man on this panel other than you, uh, <laughs> that I can say about a startup is that we move fast and we yeah. change fast. So the first few hires, whether that be the first three, the first five, the first 10, the first 20, it's imperative to your growth, it's imperative to, to your success. So hiring people that are just as passionate about what you're building and excited about the vision that you have for the company as a as a co-founder or, uh, or, or founder is, is, is really important. And so when we're doing interviews, we want to know not just that you have the talent, but You know, that you can come and bring something to the team Mm -hmm. and that you can run with it. I always tell everybody I come in last and I interview them. I don't micromanage. You got to come in with the expertise. You got to be able to take this opportunity and run with it, figure things Mm -hmm. out. That's what startups are. And then we know we can all kind of collaborate with our with our goals and our minds, Mm -hmm. uh, whether we want to build in workshops, and OKRs and then figure out Mm -hmm. how we're going to build the company. But it's really imperative for those first hires to really, 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 really be really for the company and in it to win it.
5: Yeah, that's true. And I think something smart that we did unintentionally Mm -hmm. was that we started hiring for service and support first. We weren't focused on, you know, all things marketing or sales. Um, That's because we knew that because we serve the service industry, we wanted to be able to provide a brown glove service at every interaction, Mm -hmm. at every engagement. And it had to be top tier. We also knew that if your service is Five star that people will be a little bit more forgiving when the technology or the app per se um, is not, you know, always operating as it should. And so we've taken that, and, and even to this day, you'll see reviews online about ShareShare, Share, and people always talk about the service and the level of support that we provide. And, and we really feel that it's part of our ShareShare Share DNA to give that type of service back to people who service us on a daily basis.
6: Well, and and you know, uh, Maya Angelou said, people will always forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made. The- feel. So the goal is to always make them feel special, good, bad, and different, and just always put them first. And so that's what we've always done from the beginning. Great.
3: Good, good words to live by. So I have a question that came in from the audience here. So I'm going to hopefully I say this right, but uh, so let's talk about grit. How has it been during Ah. the pandemic? What are you doing to keep pushing forward? And let's change it up. Let's start with Polly on this one, if you don't mind.
1: Ah, um, No, of course I don't. Well, it's weird. It's it's. I mean, grit overall is really hard. I I think a lot of people. I think pretty much everyone here bootstrapped for at least a little while, and um, that is. I think. I mean, I can talk about the pandemic, but I actually I actually think bootstrapping is the thing that requires the most grit because you have to like so deeply believe in what you're doing um, to still want to wake up every day and get paid nothing to build it. Um, And so I think that requires the most grit in terms of the pandemic. I think the thing that's been the most challenging is. Like, I'm a extrovert who, like, thrives off of connecting with people and being in the office and having serendipitous ideas and meetings. And we had to give up our office in Union Square and all go completely remote and actually just decided last week that we're going to be remote throughout all 2021. And it's just hard. Like, it's very hard to lead a team through Zoom. It's hard to motivate. It's hard to get excited. It's hard to connect with people. It's really hard to onboard new team members. Um, And that's been tough. The other thing that is hard is that I'm, I'm really realizing now is how much structure and thought has to go into communication and project management. So... We were project management light in terms of like the tools we used before the pandemic and now that we're in the pandemic, I feel like I like I, half of my job is just figuring out how to efficiently communicate with other people on the team in a way where I'm walking the very fine line of enough information that you need to know and not so much information where you're not going to read it, engage with it in a way that's meaningful. So. Yeah, I think managing teams remotely has has required a lot of grit and it's hard to get up every Monday and be like, "All right, I'm going to sit in front of the screen again for 12 hours today." Um so I wish I had better answers for how to make that better, but
3: No, it's it's it, those are that's good <laughs> good strategy. So, Danielle, how about you? How have you dealt with uh, or or if you could talk about grit as both a founder of a startup and then also uh, through this pandemic?
0: Yeah, I think I think it goes back to just why I even started this in the beginning was to solve my own problem. And then once I found out that this was a problem for so many other people, they essentially became the driving force. I think every time I talked to any woman, they, this outpouring, uh, hatred for their bra that they've internalized their entire life because they've never had somebody to talk to kind of is overwhelming and it's so gratifying for what we're doing. So that's always been what kept us going when we heard the nose from everyone. Why hasn't somebody else done this design before? And I'm like, I don't know. I wish they would have, cause I wouldn't be doing this right now. <laughs> so it's like all of those nose and all of the, the naysayers, I'll say, um, there is a quote that I think kind of pushed me through that, it's like the walls are there to keep out the people who don't want it bad enough. And so that's something that's always kind of stuck with me. Cause once you get over that hump, you know, just like our brand name when fruitful, when we had those challenges, we were like, great, what are we going to do? And if we would have stopped at that point, you know, wherewithal is so much better and encompasses so much more of what we're trying to do with this brand. So I think if you have that passion and you're doing this for a purpose, because it's, you're not just trying to start a company, just start a company. You're you're going to keep going to the moon. And so with the pandemic, especially, it's been tough because half of our team is in Tampa and half, half the, the other two people on our team uh, are, are in New York. And so these virtual fittings that we're doing with professional fit models and we're doing a two step approach to uh for our fit process, since this is such a new size, this is such a new sizing system, we're using professional fit models and then also doing product testers. And what we wanted to do was host fit and sit parties and have, you know, real women just come and try on the bras and validate if it fits, if it works, after we have those technical uh, fittings, but that's been virtual. That's been very difficult. I'm more of the high-level person, and Ellery is like my right brain, who is all detail-oriented. And so I get these lab dips, these color swatches, and they look the same. I'm going cross-eyed. And that yesterday, I was like, man, this is the time where I wish we had an office where I could just walk in and ask for your help. And I, it's been hard to be remote, um, even though Ellery and I are in the same city. It, we're still working from our own homes, so. Even little nuances like that, but I agree with what you said, Polly. Just, are you saying too much? How are we managing this? I'm a tangible person, so I write everything down, and then I have to like take a picture, upload it, and put it in uh, one of our thousand Google Docs. So, it's been tough not having that in person physio- physiologic, physiological. I can't say that word apparently. Uh, that physical connection, I guess, to anybody on our team right now it's been it's been hard but what you all said about that the people that you hire who are just as passionate as you are I'm very thankful for that and for the people on my team at this point having that same passion because that's what gets us through it
3: sure yeah. so Stephanie, <laughs> Stephanie how about Stephanie how about you um what maybe you could talk about grid a little bit and not only as a co-founder or a founder uh but also in the pandemic as well
4: Yeah, so I have come from a very long uh, distance in order to be where I am. Um, The majority of my childhood, I grew up below the poverty line. And you kind of, poverty is kind of quarantine. There's a lot of things you cannot do when you do not have money. And you therefore become extremely resourceful at getting what you need in as efficient of a way as possible. So COVID and the pandemic hasn't been as a shock to my system um, as it has been to others because I've been here before of just not being able to do what I would like to do and what I would need to do. Um, And so the way that I've internalized it really is just an opportunity for me to find more efficient ways to get things done. Um, uh, Because we're B2B enterprise SaaS, um, I've already experienced having remote teams. Of course, we've had to double down on that. But um, early part of COVID, you know, a lot of hiring slowed down, and we had to pivot to a product that companies um, could actually get value from, even though they weren't actively recruiting. And the death of George Floyd really accelerated interest in solutions that can enable people to understand their commitment to diversity and a strategy for promoting it. And so that's why, we doubled down on the blend score product. And I don't know that that would have happened um, if these circumstances were in, were in play. So I guess the way that grit shows up for me is understanding that you won't always have everything you need, but you have to kind of find the the, the silver lining um, in, in order to get what you want.
3: Sure. Now, Courtney and Ty, how about you all in terms of grit, the pandemic and, you know, how you all... <laughs> Deal with being a founder and the trials and yeah. tribulations that come with like
6: that, right? Well, I, I guess when you think about it, and Courtney's mm-hmm. going to come in, uh, I, I second what what um, Stephanie said, has said. Okay. You know, the, the the pandemic, it didn't shock me. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the, it, it surprised me that they didn't think that we were essential. Uh, yeah. But I think that when you think about grit, you know, I've always had to live with grit. I'm the seventh of eight kids you know, grew uh, below the poverty line as well, and grew in a big family, so five generations in one home. And so one bathroom. One bathroom, three bedrooms, so you got to right. figure that out, and that's like 13 people yeah. at that time, so, you know, you, you figure things out, and it, and it doesn't affect you. I think that uh, having personal uh, relationships is, is great, um, and we've had to double down again, uh, as like Stephanie in You know, um, having a lot of meetings online, hiring, um, and and just really developing that connection. And I think having that connection comes with people wanting to work with you. And so that grit is something, I I don't even say the word grit, I have to put two T's on it in IER. I want it to be grittier because I think we can work through the grit. And and, and you got to go a little deeper in that grit in order to really figure things out. And that's what we've been able to do.
5: Yeah. I think for for us, too, because we were shocked that people thought that we were not essential, Um, you know, revenues went to zero, right? Because there were places that were not open for business, where salon owners could not open for business, where barbers could not go in and cut hair Mm -hmm. professionally. And so... Um, we said, well, you know, we, we've been here before, you know, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, I guess, you know, having so many years in the industry, we've lived through Y2K, we've lived through Ebola, we lived through what was it, the 08, 07 recession. And so we knew that it was just a matter of time before our industry just curved back up again. Um, Yes, it was uncomfortable, of course. Um, And we fielded so many phone calls from stylists and salon owners saying, oh my gosh, help me. What can I do today to keep my business going? I I need to feed my family and this is all I have. Um, And so I think in that moment, we just turned the corner a little bit and turned our um, service tunage up um, another notch. And so came out with things like a hundred and plus educational resources to help people um, figure out how to grow and manage their business from behind the chair, right? So like what portions of your business can you potentially transition to be online? Um, what makes the most sense for you? Um, once we get out of this pandemic, why is it important to have a relationship with your banker, for example, right? Um, resources to um, get people approved for even PPP um, and helping them like literally we would go through and do screenshots of how how you uh, process the EIDL loan. Right. And so I'm so very happy to say that even our team worked to get over 125 stylists who had already been denied for PPP the first time actually yeah. get approved for it. And so again, just kind of turning the yes. page up on, thank you. Thank you so much. This, that's a, 125 businesses still going strong yeah. guys. And so, um, you know, for us, it was again, just turning outward and saying, how can we again be the most helpful for
6: you? And I know that the the pandemic created a behavioral change. So we knew that a lot of stylists couldn't work at the salon, so they started working at home. So, Which but we knew that that's what's, that's not, they had to make it work, whether it's working outside mm-hmm. in California, yeah. where they'd be working in their home, whether they're working in a garage, but we mm-hmm. knew that they were trying to survive to feed their families. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, we knew that once the business, once the business will open back up, people wanted yeah. to go back where they were classically trained. Yeah. They, we knew that the customers were going to want to go retreat back to the salons and barbershops yeah. because that's a treat for themselves to get up every day, go to the salon, mm-hmm. get their hair washed in a shampoo bowl instead of the sink or the bathtub. <laughs> So we know that all those uh, amenities and those yeah. accoutrements that, that were needed were gonna be right back in session. So we weren't uh, totally surprised by the the pandemic, but we were knowing that there was gonna be a behavioral change and how were they gonna adjust once everything opened back up. Yeah,
3: Sure. And you know, something that, that I've recognized during this conversation with you all, and I'm genuinely enjoying this, is um, you all are dealing with an education issue in one form or another, right? Yeah. Whether it be bra sizes. like. Unfortunately, and I'm not trying to make excuses up, but I don't know a whole lot about that, right? And then, yeah. <laughs> probably the issues that you're dealing—you know—you're combating. You know
1: all about it. Don't lie. <laughs> I,
3: I unfortunately, I I'm a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit more in a bubble than I think, I guess. Um, but all of you are dealing with different education topics yeah. and hurdles that you have to deal with. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me. So um, I'm getting a lot of questions here and we only have a little bit of time left. So I, I really want to do everybody justice, but uh, some people want to know, like, what's, where do you want to take your company? What's the end game? What's your grandest vision of, of what your company could be? So I'm gonna start at the top again and work my way down. So Danielle, what, what's the grandest vision in the end game for, for your, for your company with wherewithal?
0: I'm big picture gal, so I'm like crazy up here. But uh, really, I truly think that this could be a paradigm shift in this industry. And allowing this personalization, there's so many sizes. It's so wasteful. We women fluctuate every single day. We we gain weight, we lose weight. We're women who are breastfeeding or uh, mothers to be. You know, our bra will actually adjust as she grows and ha- as she evolves. And so. I think as far as the scale of our company in the industry, I really, I really see this being more of a paradigm shift and something that kind of takes shape and just, just takes over if you will, but with the, with the bra itself is a little more um, personal or inward facing. So that adjustability will allow customers to, to look inward and, and, cultivate what feels best to them. So I hope that when worn daily it becomes a tool of this self connection where where it transcends just your brawl and you know you change the size if you've eaten a little too much at lunch, we call it unbuttoning your belt for your brawl, you can just scoot it out, but I hope that that really manifests into when you don't like your surroundings, when you're not comfortable in something, when you want more, when you want better, you make that change for you. So I really you know, this is me being up here, but I really hope that it becomes a tool for self-connection and something that like brings you back to your truest self, really.
3: Oh, that's great. Polly, how about you? What's your grandest vision? What's your, what's your end game um, for your company?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think after working in government and on wall street, I kept trying to find the most effective route to enact change that I think had social consequence. So the ultimate goal you know we have for men viagra hymns roman playboy trojan hustler hollywood manscaping all of these very mainstream brands that cater to men that are considered not taboo i want unbound to be the first household brand name that does that for the other 50 percent of the population that doesn't identify as, as men um, and then i want to use that as a platform to actually enact social change so Right now, there are only 13 states in the US that require sex ed to be scientifically and factually accurate. Um, in my home state, there's only one place a woman can go in the entire state to get an abortion. Um, there's just a lot of, I think, things that we can influence through the private sector in terms of shifting policy by shifting mindsets. Um, so that's the ultimate goal is to really try to change something that is stigmatized and to just make it a normal everyday conversation, both through the products and the conversation.
3: Sure. All noble endeavors. Stephanie, how about you? Um, What's your grand vision for the company?
4: Yeah, so my grand vision for Blendor is to be the engine that enables people, operation systems to um, mitigate bias so that we can judge people more fairly. So starting off in hiring, um, you know, we anonymize profiles, but the real important piece of it is building better AI, which will be driving a lot of decision making about who gets into what schools and who gets to work at what company, um, who gets what type of healthcare. Um, So it's going to become more and more critical that the AI behind this decision making is equipped with better data sets and better training models so that we can better um, treat people um, based on who they really are and not our stereotypes and perceptions of, of who they are.
3: Awesome. Cordy and Ty, how about you all? What's your grand vision and your end game for Sheer Share?
6: Well, I think the first thing I would say is definitely be the ecosystem for the beauty industry. We know that this industry is so fragmented mm-hmm. and they're trying to promote themselves, sell products, mm-hmm. uh, and utilize everything about this in every platform. So from the Instagram, the Twitters, the Facebooks, yeah. we can be the ecosystem for this industry where we provide them able to uh, connect with other stylists, connect with salon owners, sell e-commerce, uh, advertising. So we're doing all the all the work on the back end. So once they come in, they don't have to go out. And everything they do outside of it will be just another connector point uh, for them to expose themselves. But Courtney probably would, would think I'm going to- I agree. Uh, you know.
5: But I, I would add to that, um, that you know at the end of the day, our platform, whether you sit on the supply side or you sit on the demand side- Our goal is to help you maximize your earnings potential. Mm -hmm. If you choose this industry to feed your family, we want to lower every single hurdle. All of the bumps and bruises that we learned over the last three decades, we're trying to erase all of that for you Mm -hmm. and give you a tech like layer so that it becomes a little sexy, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about, like Ty mentioned, we want to become that ecosystem. We do want to become that premier B2B ecosystem that gives you all those tools that you need to grow and manage your business. Like, why is it that we as stylists and salon owners don't think about, Portable benefits, you know, from day one. Why do we not think about retirement as soon as we start our business? Mm-hmm. You know, quarterly taxes is really a thing. And so, like, instead of showing up somewhere with a shoebox full of receipts, like, why why can't we make that a little bit more easier in order digitize.
6: to... to right? Digitize.
5: Oh, yeah, digitize it. Um, we actually have... Um, Uh, big announcement coming next week. Um, We partnered with a large um, insurance company. Um, It's been two years in the making, believe it or not. Um, But for the first time, and again, we pioneered on-demand salon and barbershop space rentals, and now we're gonna be pioneering this thing where um, individual stylists can go onto the ShareShare platform, book a couple of days that they're gonna work, and then now be able to purchase professional liability insurance by the day. Never happened before in our industry, um, and it's something we're so very proud of. but again, if you're choosing this industry, we want to make it super easy for you to get access to all the things that you need in order to run your business, but you only pay for what you actually use. Yeah. Like, why is that not a thing? Um, and so you you haven't heard um, the last from, from us. We feel like we're just getting started. Yeah. And one day, John, we will be writing our S1, just so you know.
3: There you go. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> no, that's that's incredible, everybody. Um you know we're time sensitive here, and I'm getting a lot of notes here on my end that people are really enjoying this, and you're making want, people want to be entrepreneurs and do good in the world. So that's phenomenal. Um, some people out there may say the grant, you know, may may want to just cash in and, and go off to an island and and that's it. But you all are really out there trying to do good in the world, and and I commend that. Thank you all for
2: such a fun conversation. I'm very happy to hear that all the companies are doing so well. Working to create real impact in the world. So appreciate that and great job, everybody. Before we go, I want to share a segment with Rich Malloy of Established and Established Ventures with the VC Minute. He's talking today about TAM, Total Addressable Markets. Take it away, Rich.
7: Hi, this is Rich Malloy with Established Ventures, bringing you the VC Minute quick advice to help startup founders fundraise better. Let's talk about TAM. The massive returns needed to succeed in venture capital is one of the key drivers of the TAM obsession. Bigger markets offer bigger opportunities for growth, and perhaps bigger exits. When you have an investor hammering on TAM, they might be talking about total addressable market on the surface, but what they're really thinking about is a different TAM, that Aspen money. Hmm, is this opportunity big enough for me to buy that house in Aspen? The irony of TAM is that most iconic companies of our lifetime turned a small TAM into an entirely new, massive category. Microsoft in the 80s, AOL and eBay in the 90s, Amazon in the aughts, more recently New Relic, Twitch, Slack, I could go on and on and on. I try not to get TAM obsessed, or more likely I try to take deep breaths when others get TAM obsessed. It's important, but what's more important is creating new markets. Or dominating existing markets. Sell the vision about how your total addressable market becomes that Aspen money. Here are some questions I would love if founders asked me Have you invested in any companies that are creating their own category or expanding a market category? Or you can ask, We see the opportunity to expand into new markets or to expand our market. What have you seen from your experience that's worked in these situations? Notice I'm not talking about exits. I'm talking about the revolutionary work of creating an entire new segment of business or just expanding your market size. If you can get an investor to think that your TAM equals their TAM, then you're in business. That's all for the VC Minute. Back to you, Frank.
2: Thanks, Rich. I'm sure our listeners really will find that helpful information along the way here. It's important to understand that TAM. All right, so we hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please share the conversation. Um, we, love, we love sharing, we wanna to continue to grow our community and help as many people as you can. So please share if you will, sharing is caring. And speaking of sharing, I wanted to share one last thing before we depart here. I wanted again, to spread the word about Taker. It's one of our companies in our community. TaxTaker helps uh, tech founders across the country get billions of dollars back from Uncle Sam every year for working on their startups, which is pretty incredible. So there's these uh, research and development tax credits that are available for any tech startup that is developing products or technologies, and you don't have to be profitable yet to qualify for them. So our friends over at TaxTaker are making it easy for founders to get these savings that they're due by just, you know, doing what you're doing. All you have to do is fill out and sign up for this simple form and TaxTaker will do the rest. They'll get back to you and let you know what you can do. So go to TaxTaker.com forward slash S-O-T-Y. Again, it's TaxTaker.com forward slash S-O-T-Y. And, uh see what you can do. All right. So if you have a startup idea and you want to get it going, today is the best day to start up, not tomorrow, not the next day. In doing so, I encourage you to join our community for access to support, expert advice, and resources that you need to elevate your startup. Just get going. Go to soty.link forward slash apply. We look forward to having you. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Thanks again for listening. Wishing you the best of luck and future success and adventures.
0: Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.